God's good. Amen? Amen. Think about that plucking part of that. I always think about, can't pluck out of the, you know, Christ's hand or the Father's hand. I think about that's what Jesus said uh, in John 10, uh, talking about being the good shepherd, that, uh, that nothing, nothing's going to separate us uh, from the salvation that we have been given through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, take your Bibles with me and go to, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Your Bible's open to Revelation chapter 19. And uh, I had something unusual. I've had a lot of things happen in the course of a lifetime being a preacher. Um, about 10 or 12, well, probably 15 years ago, of course, I was here when this happened, Revelation 19. Bonnie, well, that's probably 12 years ago, 10. Anyway, the time doesn't matter. Bonnie had an, an English bulldog called Biggie, okay? And Biggie, Bonnie was living at home at that time, and Biggie got a hold of my preaching Bible. Y'all remember that? Now, folks, preaching Bibles are very important to preachers, okay? I just... Um, it's just uh, it's what you use to preach out of, and I and it was worn, you know. I'd gotten it worn to where I like. It's it's a long story. You don't care about that, but he he demolished it. He he chewed it into a thousand pieces. It matter of fact, but I kept the remnants of it. Okay, there was a section of the Old Testament that you could not that I use it, but that you could still use. You know, a little bit. You didn't use it, but it it had. It still had the binding on the back. The leather was gone. and Anyway, so it was a mess. Well, I've had another tragedy with another puppy. And this puppy's name is Lulu, okay? And she's a golden doodle. And uh, she got hold of my glasses. That's why I'm going without my glasses. I don't wear contacts. I have no glasses. She, I have unbreakable lenses. But it doesn't mean they can't be chewed. They didn't, it didn't chew the dog off when they started chewing it. So I have to... Uh, so to, I say all that to say this. I brought two Bibles with me. One's large print, okay? And uh, so I may be able to read that when I read some cross-references in, uh, in just a minute because we're going we're gonna to read a lot. We're going to read a lot today, okay? So your Bible's open to Revelation chapter, chapter 19 and... I'm not going to do a study on the Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, but I do want to read it, and just uh, and then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4, and then we're going to look at several verses. And eventually, I want you to think about Christ's church is to represent Him on this earth. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the Bible, Peter tells us that judgment begins, if judgment begins at the house of God, that means God the Father and God the Son are going to hold all of us accountable. Obviously for obedience. We, we know that. We know what the word judgment seat means. It, it was like, a, like since we're doing the, this, the Olympics now, when they would get up on the stands and get you know, gold, silver, um, and gold, gold, silver, and bronze, that's kind of the scene of a judgment seat based out of that word out of Corinthians. It was a place where you're rewarded. So we know we're, we're going to be... We're going to be stand before Christ and give an account for our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, answered, he paid the debt for our sin. Amen? You know, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away, right? And Christ did it. That's, we trust in him for that. So I'm not going to be judged for my sins, but I'm judged for my obedience. Passage we read this morning about being shamed. Uh, John 3, 1, do not be ashamed at his coming. But anyway, so we're gonna, but we're gonna give an account. So this body, this church, this this church called the body of Christ. Uh, when Jesus talked about you'll be, when in John seventeen, he, he said you're gonna be one as me and the Father are one. And folks, that happens when you're saved and God puts you in the church. We are a, a local. It's amazing how God does it. We are the body of Christ. Well, when Christ is coming back and the first group of people that he's going to hold accountable is going to be the church. And, and Peter mentions that. Judgments are going to begin at the house of God. And, and so 
Knowing the power of Almighty God and what God's going to do in His judgment is important to me. So I want to begin in Revelation 19. We're not going to necessarily do a study as such, but I just want to read the text, part of the text to you, and then just share with you a couple of thoughts I wrote down, and then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But let me read, and you just follow along there in your Bibles. I'm in Revelation 19, and uh, I'm picking up at verse... uh, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You see the marriage supper of the Lamb is the first part of chapter 19. That's where we get our white robes. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun And with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was seated on the horse and against his army. Now my only comment here is Satan has so deceived the world. The Antichrist has so deceived the world. The beast, uh, the Antichrist, and then the false prophet have so deceived the world that lost sinners in rebellion to a holy God think they can defeat Jesus Christ. That's how deceived they are. So it says they come again, they're coming to Jerusalem to battle Jesus. And it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was seated on the horse and against his army, against Christ and his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, the beast is the Antichrist, false prophet, which is also called the beast too, but a beast, but you have the beast, Antichrist, and yet we met him last week, and the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Remember, the Bible condemns anybody who takes the mark of the beast and worships the image of the beast. They're hell-bound. And it says, And and the rest, uh, I'm sorry, these two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, these two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. By the way, that's the same term used to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. Interesting. And the rest were slain by the word that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with the flesh of the people. Folks, this is known as the battle of Armageddon. This is when Jesus comes back a second time. We know Jesus has come the first time. And the Bible promises that Jesus is coming a second time. Now, without explanation, I just want you to listen 
to some theological truths we know from Revelation 19. Number one. And we dealt with the millennial kingdom last, last week. Remember, Number one. The Lord Jesus is just in His judgment. He is just in His judgment. And His judgment at the battle of Armageddon is a bloodbath. Number two. He's powerful in His kingdom authority. Jesus rules and His word rules. He's powerful in His kingdom authority. Number three, He has a loving covenant of salvation for those who are born again. Our relationship with Christ is identified here at the first part of Revelation 19 as the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. All of us as a church, everybody who's ever been saved since Christ died on the cross are members of the worldwide body of Christ. Every, who's truly been saved are members of the worldwide church but also are make up the bride of Christ. But also this church, Redland Baptist Church, is the bride of Christ in local expression. Or you could say we are the body of Christ in local expression. But we have a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's a celebration about the same time, that, right after this judgment, called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's a loving covenant of marriage between Jesus Christ and those whom he saves. That's what Ephesians 5 is all about. Number four, his word is clear and true revelation. Everything that God has said is true. Everything God said is going to happen is going to happen. His word is clear and His word is true. There's you cannot deny what this passage is teaching. It's teaching that Christ is coming and He's judging and He's holding the world accountable for sin. And there's going to be a battle. That's going to be much of a battle. But He's going to destroy the nations and the armies that stand against His kingdom by the word of His mouth. And their, and their bodies, we're going to read it in a minute, their bodies are going to melt with fervent heat right in front of him. Number five, his, his sovereign authority or his sovereign power is unstoppable. Sometimes we doubt that. Sometimes because Christ has delayed for 2,000 years, we doubt his sovereign power and his sovereign will to rule. But that's not true. It is unstoppable. And the Bible says the reason he has delayed is there's a few more people that he's going to save. But it's his power and his sovereignty is unstoppable. There's nothing lost sinners can do to change what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 19. And as a matter of fact, you know when that's going to happen. It's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. There's absolutely nothing the devil's going to do, the Antichrist is going to do, the false prophet's going to do to change what's going to happen in Revelation chapter 19. There's nothing they're going to do to change death and hell. He's going to throw them into hell, and eventually everybody's going to be thrown to the lake of fire, including everybody who has, has rejected Jesus Christ are going to be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan, with the Antichrist, with the false prophet, and everybody who's taken the mark, and everybody else that's unsaved is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So his rule, is it's unstoppable. And then the six, which is related to what I just said, is it's really true. There is heavenly fire and heavenly retribution. That's what this is. God's going to judge the world. And he's coming with, with a, a fiery judgment. And then the last one I wrote down was that it is, it's a horrific end. Revelation 19 is a horrific end to lost man. It's just a summary of the horrificness of what it means to be lost and to die in darkness and to be induced by Satan. So if you're here today, let me just say this, we're not at the invitation, but if you're here today and you've never been saved and you think it's a joke, I want you to know the devil's got you duped. And if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to end up right here in some way or another. 
you're going to end up being judged by a holy God. And it's going to be a horrific judgment. And the fire does not go out. The pain never stops. The worm never dies is what the text says, is what the Lord Jesus said. Now, take your Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians 4. The reason I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is yes, uh, last Sunday, you know, because we talked about the millennial kingdom, Malay Annum, a thousand-year reign. We talked about that last week. And, and we got home, and, and that afternoon, Bonnie and I were talking. I was looking for Bonnie. She's not in here. Uh, Bonnie was, we were talking, and she says, she didn't sort of say it to me, but we were just discussing things. And she said, as, as much as I, I know and you teach, and sometimes it gets confusing. It is confusing, right? It's a lot to think about. So to help us with our confusion, I want to go back over just a couple of basics about where we are in the book of Revelation. Now, we're going to go back. Uh, we will never make it today, but we're going to go back to Revelation 14. Chronologically, we had done 12 and 13. We had touched on 14 several months ago because we dealt with 144,000 witnesses, but eventually we're going to go back there to Revelation 14. But I wanted to jump all the way to the end of the story when after the events that I just read, Jesus Christ sets up a kingdom. That's Revelation chapter 20. That kingdom lasts for a thousand years. But I want to go back through just the, the major events of the end of age. And it's important. Okay, I shouldn't have done this, but hold your finger. I love the finger. Hold the finger at 1 Thessalonians 4, right? And go back to Revelation. Real quick, I want to show you this. This is extremely important when it comes to interpreting the Scripture. Folks, there, half the church doesn't believe this. Half the Protestant church does not believe what I'm teaching you. They would think I'm a heretic. Okay, One of our... You know, in, verse, in chapter 1, I'm in Revelation again. And, and look at Revelation uh, 1, verse 19... Chapter, and then we're going to go chapter 4. I want you to see. Jesus communicates with John. He breaks, he breaks prophecy down in three stages. What John's going to get is contained in three stages. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are past, present. Well, John is 95 years old, and it's in the middle of the church age, the beginning of the church age. So you have the past. So he tells John to write the things that you have seen, the things that are, that's the church age. He's are, he's in the church age. He had pastored at Ephesus. He had been arrested at Ephesus. He had been taken to the island of Patmos, and Jesus showed up with a message called the Revelation. That's R. So he says, so write the things that you have seen, those that are. And then he says, and those that are to take place. What does it say? After this, right? By the way, that you don't care, but the two words in the Greek text is meta-tauta. Meta-tauta. Now, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 2 and 3 is the church age, right? We, and eventually, when we get all the way to the end, I'm going to come back to Revelation 2 and 3. But in Revelation 2 and 3, you have the church age. So in John's summary, when Jesus gave him the summary, 119 says the things that are. The church age, as, as John's writing it, is the are. What you've seen, the things that are, and the things that will be. Now, so at the end of the church age, chapter 2 and 3 is the church age. Look what happens in chapter 4. What's the first two words? I'm reading out of ESV. Meta tauta. You with me? After this. Let me ask you another question. We did this six months ago. After what? The church age. Now let me read the rest of chapter 4 verse 1. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. And there it is again, meta tauta after this. So when the church age ends, right? 
the tribulation begins. And technically in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to the end of 19 talks specifically about the events of the tribulation. So this is where we're at. When you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4, this is just one of those passages that describe the rapture of the church, okay, which happens before the tribulation starts. The church age is going to end. It's just not going to flitter out. It's going to end at a point in time after this. It's going to come to an end. We believe that, that, that and then John gets it, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, he hears a voice. Now John's a, an apostle of the church, the last apostle, and he hears a voice that says, come up here. After, after what? After the church age, where is John going? Where do you go? After the church age, where do we go? There you go. Just makes sense. And so this is just Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This is Macedonia, the area of Macedonia. Um, early book of Paul. I was telling our class this morning uh, that every chapter he talks about the second coming in one way or another. It's amazing. Um, and it's a very early book. You know, about the you know, early 50s. Anyway, verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brothers, about those who, those who are asleep. And I could go into a whole thing about sleep. You know, the, the word cemetery is, comes from the Greek text, and it means the, the place of sleep of the believer. Originally, it was a Christian term. Um, um, Originally, there were not, they were not called cemeteries. That, that was changed because believers understand that, that, that the body, that they're still alive, that body's just a, a shell. And, and we celebrated that last Sunday afternoon uh, when we buried Bob, right? Because Bob was saved. And anyway, we move on. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, or uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as, as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's all based on the resurrection. If Jesus Christ was physically raised from the dead, guess what's going to happen to you? You're physically going to be resurrected from the dead. By the way, the Catholics argue that Jesus could have come back and died for aliens too. No kidding. I won't get into it now, but in a lot of Catholic theology, they're anticipating aliens coming and they think Jesus could be their savior too. He could be an alien savior. He's not an alien savior because when he ascended, what form did he ascend in? Human form. Though he's a glorified body, right? So he's Jesus Christ, the Jewish man, when we see him. But yet he's going to be glorified. He, he didn't morph into an alien and die for aliens. They believe that. Move on. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So everybody who's died, they really didn't die. They fell asleep. And that's why we don't use the word death. They died. I say that a lot because physically it is true, but in eternally they didn't. The body died, but they didn't, right? Neither did we lose them. I mention this almost every funeral. And they, we don't lose them. I can't say we lost them because we know where they are. And, and so they're asleep in Jesus. So that means one day that body's come, coming out of the grave. Everybody who's died since Christ died on the cross are going to be brought forth out of the grave at one point in time. It's called the rapture. They're asleep in Jesus. Now, Old Testament saints will be resurrected too, but that's later on. It says, so he says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who were left. And at that point, Paul really believed he was going to experience the rapture. Do you see the language there? We who are alive and remain. See, we're not making this up, right? And if you were trying to come up with some farce, if this was all a lie, you wouldn't write like that. But Paul actually believed Jesus would come in his lifetime. I'm sorry, we got to hurry. I'm running out of time. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Who are the dead in Christ? Everybody who's left this world and their bodies in the grave. So the dead, where are they? Well, they're in Christ, but they're the dead in Christ. So the one thing they're without right now is a perfect body. And so at the rapture, and you have to believe in a rapture. It appears seven or eight times in the New Testament. You just got to figure out when it's going to be. A lot of people believe it's at the end. We believe it's before. So the rapture, you know, the sin, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, look at verse 17, then we who are alive. Again, Paul thinks it's, he's going to be part of that. Who are left will be caught up, and there's the word, harpazo, Latin word is rapture. So the word rapture is in the Bible. It's just a Latin Bible. That's why we use the word. That's how it came to be a popular term in Christianity, the rapture. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And that again, that word rapture appears several times. Okay, As a matter of fact, just it's an interesting thing, and I didn't even think I was going to make this connection. Called up, it's a pretty graphic term. It, it's a snatching. It's a gripping away. It's, it was even used of robbers. I get, say this because in John 10, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and no one will snatch you out of my hand. Remember? He says that in John 10. Yeah. Snatch you. That's the same word, heart potzo. So it tells you that it's an aggressive, powerful snatch. So, called up. It's what happened to John in the vision in Revelation 4.1. This happened. It happened to Paul. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says in Revelation when Jesus ascended. Now, don't get confused. In Revelation 12, when it's describing Jesus' ascension, it says Jesus was raptured. Interesting, isn't it? So it appears all the time. So you just going to, as a theologian, you have to figure out when you believe it's going to happen. We believe it happens before the tribulation. We move on. Then we who are alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds. Because that's what the angel said. In the same way, Acts 1, in the same way he has taken up, so he'll come. He didn't come to the earth. He left and he went in the clouds. And that's what the angel said. This same Jesus is going to come back in that manner for you. It's in the clouds. So we'll call up together with them in the clouds. He doesn't come to earth. You have to admit, I don't care what your theology is about eschatology, the study of end times, you have to deal with this. He didn't come to earth. So you have to say, well, when is this going to happen? Well, we believe it's a rapture event seven years before tribulation. So he was called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. So the Bible says we're in the church age. And then there's coming a time when the church age will end and there will be this event called the rapture. And all the signs, all the signs of the end of the age, the signs of His coming, all the signs are about the second coming. The second coming doesn't happen till the end of a seven-year tribulation. So all the signs that point to the second coming, the rapture seven years at least, it's literally, it's more than seven years, but at least seven years before the second coming. So all the signs are more applicable because we're seven years before, the, at least before the second coming. So there's the church age of which we're in right now. It's been going on for 2,000 years. The body of Christ has been preaching the gospel. We've been, in, we've been invading the kingdom of Satan, the world of darkness. Folks have been being called out of darkness into light for 2,000 years, but one day, He's going to say, go get, your, go get the children, and the, and the son's going to come. And he's going to call us up, and we're going to be caught up, and that's called the rapture. Then there's seven years of tribulation. Three and a half are not that bad because the Antichrist makes that covenant. That's really what marks the beginning of the tribulation. See, the rapture does not start the tribulation. I'll, I'll make this quick. The rapture does not start the tribulation. The rapture makes things possible for the tribulation. So after the rapture, sometime in history, could be a month, 
Could be six months, whatever. Could be an election. Could be three years. It could be maybe there has to be another cycle for somebody else to steal an election. We don't know. But so then, then there's an election. And, and then whatever. And then, then the Antichrist, who's now a world ruler, he, he rules the world because there's a ten-nation gathering that gathers around him. Kings and, and nations support him. And there's a prophet saying, oh, he's God. And so he makes this covenant with Israel. And so that, and that marks the beginning of the tribulation. He makes a seven-year agreement with Israel. That starts the tribulation. In the middle of that tribulation, we've read part of this. He, he goes in the middle of Israel, goes to Jerusalem, goes to the temple because the temple's been rebuilt. And remember, he, he defeats the two witnesses. I think this gives him the, 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 the power and the reputation to do what he's fixing to do. But he goes into the temple and he, he, he cancels the covenant with Israel and he demands to be worshipped right in the middle of the tribulation. The false prophet, they, make, they start building images and they start counting, controlling people, taking the mark and, and pledging allegiance to the, the last three and a half years. That's when you have to take the mark, worship, bow down and worship the Antichrist or you'll get slain. So, and then at the end of seven years, Guess what? Guess who's coming back? Who is it? Jesus is coming back. Now, with all that said, take your Bibles one more time and go to Zechariah. Now, don't get scared. Go back to the left, and when you get to Malachi, that's the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. So don't get all freaked out. You can find it. You can flip to it and think like everybody knew I could find it. Malachi. Uh, Malachi, then Zechariah. Go to Zechariah. And I have six minutes, okay? Uh, and I want to read to you. I may keep mentioning Zechariah because there's so much prophecy. There's Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah. Daniel, of course, is the biggest. Go to, go to Zechariah 14. That's oh, a big book, I'm sorry. Go to Zechariah 14. Verse 1, okay, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered. And the, this, is, this is what, this is, you remember, all the nations are going to come against Israel, okay? So when the, Old, when the New Testament describes this, they don't have to describe all of it because it's described in the prophets, okay? Israel knows what's going to happen, okay? They don't believe it yet. But they, so it says, And the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city will go out into the exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, now so he's going to come and he's going to fight for Israel. There's a whole other prophets about this. And Israel's going to cry, cry out to him. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. So when Jesus comes back, not only is he going to go do battle at the Battle of Armageddon, this is all in the same area. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. And the topography of Israel is going to change. Okay, So just know that. So, but again, I want you to see in the Old Testament, this is the second coming. Right. The first coming was, was a mystery where he established the church. This is the second coming. A day is coming for the Lord when he, the spoil taken from Anyway, so then he says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against the nations as when he, as the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half uh, southward. I don't want to read this whole thing. We'll spend forever. Uh, go down to chapter, I'm still in 14. Go down to verse 12. This is describing still him coming back. Now you need to read the rest of that down through verse 12. But let me just read verse 12 for the sake of time. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people that wage war against Jerusalem. See, because you know this never happened. This has never happened. Look what it says. Their flesh, 
their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. So from God's judgment, they are, it's just like the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you saw that movie, somebody knew their Old Testament. God, they're not going to be able to stand in God's judgment. He's powerful in his authority. His sovereign rule rules. He's coming back. And so, so they can't stand against him. Drop down to verse uh, 16. I think it's verse 16. Then everyone... Now that's verse 18, right? Then everyone who survives... Right, you with me? Thank you. <laughs> I circled it, but I certainly can't read the number. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up. Now this is, now he's jumping. The reason I did this is we jumped to the millennial kingdom, okay? This is after everybody's judged. He's landed on Mount of Olives. You know, Zechariah 14 covers a lot of it. Now he's established his kingdom, okay? Now the nations, the ones, remember there's people left on the earth, survived the tribulation, right? They didn't take the mark. And there's people from all nations that survived. They repented and believed in Christ and didn't take the mark. And they're in the flesh. Remember, they're in the old nature. These nations, look what it says. So he's describing the world. This is the world we're going to help rule. Okay? Then everyone who survives, that, and, and everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up. Now see, so now Jerusalem's going to be the capital of the world. Our, our mansions, you know, the, go, the place, the new Jerusalem where your mansion is, where, you're, where you abide will be up above us somewhere, but, but there'll be a physical kingdom on the earth and Jerusalem's the capital of the world. And Jesus rules from Jerusalem. And we rule with him, okay? Then everyone, okay, survives, they have come against Jerusalem, shall go up year after year to worship the king. By the way, I think there's three times they have to come. The Lord of hosts, they worship the, the king and the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. I think there's three different feasts. This is during the Millennial Kingdom. The nations will have to send representatives three times a year to Israel to worship the Lord. Okay? And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, what's the Lord going to do? Is he going to know they didn't come? Look what it says. The Lord of hosts... Uh, do not, do not worship the king and the Lord of hosts. There will be no rain on them. So wherever that nation is, whatever group of people didn't send representatives to worship and submit to Christ the king in the millennial kingdom three times a year, this time it's a feast of booth, if they didn't send representatives, guess what's going to happen at their part of the... It ain't going to rain. And which is weird because there's going to be no... The way he does think that the whole topography of the sea is going to have changed. But it's whatever rain is, it's not going to rain on them. So if it doesn't rain, guess what? They're, they're not going to have as much food as everybody else. Because Jesus rules with a rod of iron. Let me read a little bit more. And if the family of Egypt, that's just a sign of people that have been rebellious and now submit. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booth. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths. It will not rain on their property. And that happens at least three times during the course of the year. They have to send representatives. Folks, I'm... I'm way over time, and I, I am so sorry. But I do want to send you to one more passage. Uh, man, there's tons here in, 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 in Zechariah. Go to, uh, let's finish at Zechariah 12. That's just a page over in my Bible. We'll finish here. Now, I know we're going from end to beginning. We're going backwards. You know, it should be in 1 to 12 to 14. 14 to 12, 12 to 14, but I'm going backwards. This is a... Uh, and I'll finish here. This is, this is a Zechariah 12. Um, 
let me just read the first few verses, beginning at verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And it's all of it. Judah, Jerusalem, uh, Galilee. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And of course, this is the middle of the, you know, there's been a covenant signed. All these nations agree for this peace treaty. And then all of a sudden, that peace treaty's broken. And at the end of that seven-year period, it is going to be a horrific battle all coming against Israel. So all the people, all who lift, all who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike. Now see, this is where when you're reading in the book of Revelation, it talks about the horses. If you know your Old Testament, and the Jews did, they understood See, all this didn't have to be written in the book of Revelation because it's in the prophets in the Old Testament. So it says, On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open. When I strike every horse of the people with blindness, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, well, let me just say, if, if, you, if you read the rest of this, you, you discover that during the battle of Armageddon, it is a bloodbath. It ends up saying, the Lord has his garments stained as if he had been treading a wine press. And, and of course, they ask, where, where did the stain come from? It's as if he's been treading a wine press. But it's not wine that's on his garment. It's the blood of judgment. Because Jesus Christ is going to hold the world accountable for sin and judgment. Amen? So at the tribulation is not only going to be a lot of deception, a lot of wrath being poured out by God, but eventually it's going to be the return of Christ. And this is where the Bible says he will reign with a rod of iron. Now, folks, the issue this morning is do you know him? Do you know him? When Jesus said it is done in Revelation 16, let me tell you what that means. Today, and it's done. It's a prophecy. He settled. All this is going to happen. It is done. But what that means to me and you is there's no other means of salvation. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Acts 4.12. And it is the name of who? Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ, the Bible says you're lost and dying and going to hell. It is done. It is done also that if you're here and you're saved, the Bible says you're a member of my church. You are part of the body of Christ. And Paul pleads to the church, that everybody that's a member of the church body, that's been saved and placed in the body, that you walk worthy of carrying his name. It's done. It's done. You're going to be judged based on how you walk according to his name. And it is done. If you're here and you're without Christ, the Bible says you die and go to hell without him. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed and our hearts are open to the Lord and Again, as you pray and as you consider and pray for those that are around you. and Again, don't think about the time. I know I'm a little late. But finally, I want you to think about this before we stand to sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here today and you've never been saved, I'm begging you to consider the claims of Christ. It, it's, not a, it's not a joke. It's not just a religion. I'm telling you, the Bible says you must be born again. You repent of your sins and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change your life. He will forgive you and he'll make you brand new.
You must believe. You must repent. So I'm inviting you to do that this morning. And in a moment when we stand, and you're welcome to come and tell me that you need to be saved. And you want to talk to me about what it means and how you can pray today and be saved. I'd love for you to do that. Or maybe when you leave here, you want to talk to somebody you know and say, hey, I want to talk to you about being saved today. It is done. This is how folks get saved. It's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also for those of us that are supposed to walk worthy, it's done. And we're going to be judged accordingly. And Folks, we need faithful church members. It's undeniable. We need faithful church members. And, and faithful church members are just people that are faithful to Christ. Maybe you're here today, and, and that's not you, but it should be. And so maybe today is a day of renewal for you, rededication, whatever it would be. It's important that God's church be God's church. So if you're here today and you need to make a decision, we're going to sing and we're going to wait on you. Father, we love you and we're grateful to respond to the moving of the Spirit. Move among us now, we pray in Christ's name. We stand. And we sing, room at the cross. We stand and we sing. You know it. It's on the, on the screen. We sing. You come right now. Hey, young lady. You know what Miss Dee Dee told me? She told me you were coming. Is Dee Dee in here now? Right. So, are all these Bible students? So she comes to Well, amen. Aren't you glad you're here today? So you'd miss this. You'd miss this. You never know what God's going to do. These are all Vacation Bible School uh, fruits. Amen? You know, before we go in, I'll have them introduce themselves in a sec, but Bible school is so unusual because we just, for that one week or four days, we do things we ought to be doing every day. Invite our neighbors, pick them up in a car. We do whatever we need to do to get them here because we want children to hear the gospel. And we could be doing that every day. But anyway, so that's my sermon for the day. And if you don't mind, can you help me? Okay. Yeah, so what's her name? <laughs> Ella. Ella Grace. Um, and she had, she had already been talking for a little while um, about being saved and accepting Jesus. And then during Bible school, that was, that was it. Was it the last night that when 
Diane no, shared the... I think it was the night before, okay. um, and she, she prayed. That oh, you are here. I've been looking for you for 10 minutes, honey. Come here. Come here. You're supposed to help me. You're my helper. And by the way, what's all, let me tell you this again. Again, God's just merciful in his planning, and he just does this. You know, Jessica's the director of Bible school. You know, I guess on Sunday night after the first night, you probably wanted to drive and move to, move to Texas. But you never know what God's going to do, do you? Okay. So, and all of them are going to come on the same statement. You know, they've accepted Christ, and, and we'll work with them and talk about baptism, what it means. But, but she's coming, being saved, and, and desires membership in the church through immersion. If you rejoice in that, you say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. But I didn't help me. Now, this is Bonnie. Is Bonnie's? Bonnie? No, this no. This is Aiden. Aiden. And Mikey. Yeah. And there's Dad in the back. Dad in the back. Allie. Matt. Okay. Now, same thing. Now, this was the last night of Bible school when you didn't know? Tuesday night. Like I said, Tuesday night. Whatever. Won't you tell, <laughs> you tell them the story. Well, we, um, during our Bible study, Bible story time, we um, shared the gospel and kind of really got really deep into what it means to be a Christian. And I just told them, I said, at the end of the night, if you have prayed this prayer with me and you really mean it in your heart and are ready to Turn around, we talked about what repentance means, and follow after Christ. Come and see me. And so several of them did, and these, these three came to see me and said yes. They were ready to be baptized. They were prayed, and so I talked with all of them and okay. prayed with them. I'm very comfortable that they know what they're doing. Well, if you rejoice in Aiden's decision, signify by saying amen. Amen. Now. TJ's been ready for a while. Yeah. He's had well, TJ's shy like his daddy. <laughs> That's what his problem is. But anyway, so what a blessing, TJ. Well, TJ's coming as well. And but he, did you do it in Bible school as well? Did he come forward? He, okay. Well, that's awesome. Tim, you want to share anything? Yeah, ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing like it. Now, is it four years or five years we struggled? Like I said, I was, I was getting there. See, four, five, and six. That's amazing. I think about the struggle all the time. Incredible. And in uh, a church like ours, and be honest with you, as a church, as a pastor, I'm telling you, this is the truth. It's been an honor. This is our third family. We now have our third family that we're ministering with a cancer. It's incredible. And, you know, um, and, but anyway, so um, we're, we're rejoicing, TJ, Marianne, and Tim. What a blessing. So if you're rejoicing, all three of them say amen. amen. So we'll, we'll be talking about baptism in a few weeks from now. We'll go through the baptismal waters. Before you leave today, you'll want to come by and hug their necks and shake their hands and welcome them to, to, the, to the faith family. Amen? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the work of the church. Bless these families now and the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.